Yes. You got tuned into 101.5 UMFM. This is 393, the radio show of Studio 393. We are dropping a satellite of graffiti art programming located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. We are in the Skywalk of Portage Place. Come check us. This episode has interviews with Uzoma Asaguara, who's running for nomination to the NTP in Union Station, co-founder of Kupak, as well as a psychiatric nurse. Daniel Morrison is in this episode, founder of Clan Mother, designer, student, and we end with Boogie the Beat, producer with a performance because he's a great DJ. Thanks for listening. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? It's your host, Kenneth Castillo, for the radio show UMFM 101.5. Today, we're speaking with a very special guest. Her name is Uzoma Asaguada. Right now, she's seeking the NDP nomination for the Union Station. Uh, but uh, I'll let her introduce herself. What's happening, Uzoma? What's going on? Hi, Kenneth. What's going on? Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for being here. Of course, of course. Um... So uh, why don't you introduce yourself and sure. uh, tell us what's going on, what, sh- what you're doing. Okay, well, I'm here hanging out with you. That's good, that's Some a good lovely thing. Lovely folks at 393. Um, yeah, my name is Uzoma, born and raised Winnipegger, first generation Canadian, Niger, Nigerian. Um, as you said, I'm currently seeking the NDP nomination for Union Station, which is a brand new provincial constituency. And... Uh, the meeting for that, the nomination meeting, is Sunday, May 26th at the Radisson Hotel. So I'm hoping to win that nomination and go on and run in the next provincial election. Cool. Um, can you tell us a little backstory about uh, what ma- um, made you want to go into politics and run for the NDP and, you know, s- sort of start that thing? Sure. So I'm a psychiatric nurse. I've been a nurse for over 10 years, about 11 years now. I'm also a community organizer, so I co-founded a group called QPOC Winnipeg, Queer People of Color in Winnipeg. We create safer spaces for two-spirit and LGBTQ folks of color who are, you know, so folks who are black, indigenous, and people of color. Um, so my, my work as a psychiatric nurse and my work as a community organizer has sort of always been through a very political lens. My identity as a queer black person in, in and of itself is very politicized and is very political. So mm-hmm. my, my work um, in my practice as a nurse and my work in community, which has been varied over the last number of years, has always been very intentional and um, very thoughtful and always community focused. And so going into politics seemed like a natural next step in a lot of ways, especially given what's going on currently with our government. And um, Anyway, I've got some really great supports who are also engaged in politics, and it just felt like it was the right time, so I made the move. Yeah, that's a, that's a really cool reason to go into politics, I think. Um, when you were a psychiatric nurse mm-hmm. in, you know, in your work, mm-hmm. uh, did you ever run into, you know, a lot of people that were, you know, going through the same thing as you were as, like, you know, a queer person or mm-hmm. a queer person of color especially? Mm-hmm. You know, did you ever run into anyone like that or anything that's a very good question very good question um yeah you know i in my work as a nurse most of my career has been spent in acute adult mental health and youth addictions and stabilization in mental health and so 
uh, you know, as a queer black person working in healthcare, I actually have not really run into very many people who are nurses, who are doctors, who work in the field, who I can identify with on those levels, um, mm -hmm. especially in terms of being queer and racialized. There are many of us working in healthcare, but um, there's just not as many as you know we there should be. Yeah. And so in my work, um, you know, whenever I've connected with people who have experiences sort of on any of the spectrums, whether it's race and gender identity and sexuality and all of that, um, I think that my experiences personally and professionally have sort of um, contributed to me being able to be more compassionate and understanding and sort of having a, a broader understanding of what people's experiences may be. And I think, you know, on the flip side of that, it has allowed for some people and families to connect in ways that maybe um, might have otherwise been challenging accessing healthcare, right? So we all, for the most part, experience some sort of mental health something at some point in our life, or we know people who have and who do, and, and mental health issues and addictions and all of these things are things that we need to talk about. They're things that we need to be open about and we need to kind of remove barriers around. And so, you know, as a queer black person, having an, another understanding or different understanding of how folks in more marginalized and targeted communities may have different challenges within the healthcare system has been a really important perspective. Yeah, totally. I think so as well. Um, I just wanted to ask a question on when did you start realizing that these things were important? Mm -hmm. uh, just because um, I feel like there's a lot of people out there that don't necessarily realize that mental thing, mental health is actually a thing, mm -hmm. or like, mm -hmm. you know, they're not, they're not really in tune to, you know, what's going on, like, you know, maybe like mental health issues, or like, sure. do you know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. when did you, when did you start? Another like, good question. Yeah. Um, I'm actually not 100% sure, to be completely honest. I know that I grew up not having any understanding of mental health issues, um, not having any understanding of a lot of the disorders and illnesses and experiences and thoughts and feelings and pathologies and whatever it is that you want to you know, name things and label things, they were not discussed in my household growing up. We didn't really learn about them in school. They're, they weren't really discussed in my community as an African, you know, living here. And so I really felt detached, actually, as I got older, as somebody who is Nigerian, I felt really detached from this notion of mental health. I really sort of grew up thinking that those were more issues that, you know, white people had, mental health issues, that it wasn't something that was really prevalent in our communities. And so I think that when I got to university and I started to learn more about psychology and mental health, I was just, I was fascinated by how much I didn't know. And I was concerned by how much I didn't know. And yeah, yeah. it's, I kind of poured myself into learning more about it and, and um, coming from a place of openness in, in regards to mental health. And then kind of looking at things that you have these experiences as you grow up and you don't really have the language to describe what those things are, even within yourself. Mm -hmm. So learning more about things that I had experienced, you know, mental health issues that I had gone through, you know, whether it's as a teenager or in, or in early adulthood, I could finally actually understand them in a way that uh, was without shame. Mm -hmm. 
Ladies and gentlemen, once again, you're listening to UMFM 101.5. We're here with Uzama Asaguada. Um, I also wanted to touch on how hard is it, how hard was it to to be a queer, identify as a queer person and be colored in an environment like, I know that you were into basketball a lot. Mm -hmm. That was a big part. And, you know, in my personal experience in sports, there was when I was growing up, there was a lot of hate speech, you know, like players would be like, yo, that's so gay or, mm-hmm. you know, it's very, it's a very brutal and competitive environment. Sure. And yeah. so I just wanted to ask, what was it like being a queer person in an environment like that? Look at you with these questions. <laughs> Jeez. Um, it was challenging. You know, honestly, I grew up so without, and I said it already, but so without language and mm-hmm. so without any representation of who I was, you know, growing up in the world, that I really couldn't conceptualize there was space for me as yeah. an authentic person, an authentic version of myself. There's right? no representation. There's zero. I didn't yeah. know, I didn't meet, I didn't see anybody who was queer, female, and black when I was growing uh, up. It, was, it didn't yeah. exist. Yeah. And so, therefore, I couldn't, I couldn't believe that I could exist that way in this world. And that in and of itself is really damaging for how your identity develops. It's really damaging for how you form relationships or how you try to navigate who you are in the world. Um, But in sports specifically, yeah, I was definitely growing up in a time where there weren't campaigns, there weren't rainbow campaigns, and there wasn't, you know, rainbow colored tape for hockey sticks that made it safe for all kids to play, right? So there was a lot of homophobic and transphobic language being thrown around in the locker rooms and and hurled at each other if people were heated or angry. And, you know, I think that contributed to me not feeling comfortable at a younger age to come out and be who I was. And my journey, my journey is an example of so many other people's journeys. And it's part of the reason why with QPOC especially and in how I live my life openly and visible, um, it's critical that we do that. It's critical that we do the work in community that we do. It's critical that I live visibly and authentically and vocally and that I can represent, you know, a demographic of people who do in fact exist so that young folks never have to go through what I went through. Do you think that there be will be more of a representation of queer people or, you know, LGBTQ or, you know, QPOC? Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think that there'll be more of a representation in sports and Absolutely. 10, 15 years. Absolutely. You know? There already is. There yeah. already is. It's amazing. Yeah. And that will only continue to grow. Social media has changed the game. And there are young kids in the world doing things that I never could have dreamed of doing. And I'm proud and, and seeing all of these young, racialized, queer, and gender fluid, and, you know, all the letters in the alphabet, you know, these human beings living their truth and lifting other people up and, and doing it. So I'm excited for what's to come. Mm. That has not very much to do with me. It's the young folks who mm. are actually carrying that that load, and it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wanted to touch on uh, what what goals and aspirations you have um, if you are elected, mm-hmm. and um, how can people vote for you? Where can people vote for you? Cool. Um, yeah. Okay. So, got to win the nomination first. So our mm. nomination meeting is Sunday, May twenty sixth. Right now, we've got about. 40 more hours to sell NDP memberships to folks who live in Union Station so that they can vote for me at the nomination meeting. 
So that's really the focus right now. Folks uh -huh. who live in the core and downtown signing up for those last minute NDP memberships and voting on Sunday, May 26th. And after we win the nomination, we hopefully go on and run in the election and are successful there. And then we use our voices and community voices to do work in the Manitoba legislature. Cool. It's about winning so that we can advocate and represent communities that have been targeted and excluded from politics historically and uh, changing the game that way. Mm -hmm. uh, thank you, Uzoma, uh, for coming down. Thank you it for was having me. really cool at speaking with you. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, you heard it here. If you liked what you heard, uh, vote Uzoma Askawada. Uh, you're listening to UMFM 101.5. Thank you very much. Thank you. Keep dreaming, 
Tells we see changes, mean mugs is my inspiration. Dump the white tears on the curve. Weave the ancient in your own words. Sagittarius, but all elements. Hold my spirit up to the infinite. Double digits, pay attention to the elephants. Never question my intelligence. All my relations. All my relations, come on. All my relations, all my relations, come on. Welcome back to UMFM 101.5 UMFM. Uh, we just finished interviewing Uzoma, who is running for the NDP nomination. Uh, right now, we're going to interview another guest that we have on the show. Uh, she is the owner and founder of Clan Mother uh, Clothing Brand. Uh, her name is Danielle Morrison. Welcome on the show. Thanks for having me. No problem. Um, Kenneth, the other person here, we are both doing our own clothing, slash selling prints, slash like DJing, yeah. a lot of stuff. We're just, right now we're experimenting and uh, figuring out what works for us, but we're just wondering what's the backstory of, of Clan Mother Clothing and how did that come about with like such a busy lifestyle? And mm -hmm. yeah. Well, first of all, congratulations. That's really exciting. Um, Clan Mother has sort of been something I've been sitting on for a little while. I'm a graphic designer by trade, uh, but I'm also a law student, so it's hard to balance everything. And I love art. It's sort of always been my, my healing, my solace. I went to school for fine arts, uh, and so I've always sort of kept that um, in my back pocket. And Whenever I make something for someone, I'm always sort of inspired by what are their interests, but also what inspires me. So last year I was making a birthday present uh, for my friend Wob, and I know he's a big hip hop fan, and decided that I wanted to put an Anishinaabe spin on the Wu-Tang logo. So I decided to remix it in kind of a Woodlands, Norville Morsel style. Got it put on a t-shirt the same day, and then gave it to him for his birthday. Um, he ended up taking a picture of it, posted it on Instagram and it got a ton of likes and people were asking, you know, where did you get this shirt? Can I get one? And then he kept saying to me, you should really think about getting this printed on a number of t-shirts. Um, of course, being really busy in law school and being a mother, I didn't really have time to actually set aside some money, first of all, and the time that it would take to do that. So I kind of sat on it for a year until finally um, someone actually said, you know what, I would be willing to invest in this and help you launch a brand. And that's really where Clan Mother came from. Um, you know, I started with the one design and Clan Mother is really inspired by a lot of the women in my life. Um, I've always been raised by women, inspired by women. And you don't really see a lot of women in the streetwear industry to begin with or in the hip hop industry. And uh, so I really wanted to pay homage to a lot of those um, inspiring females in my life. And so I came up with the Clan Mother logo. 
Um, you said that you went to school for fine arts and mm-hmm. art has always been a part of your life. Um, has clothing, uh, was it always there too? Or was it, did you start with a different medium of art and kind of transition into? Yeah, you know, I never really thought about fashion as uh, a career choice. Although a lot of people say, wow, you're always dressed so extra. Like, you know, where do you draw your inspiration <laughs> from? And I definitely take a lot of pride in what I wear. Um, and also wearing things that are made by other indigenous designers. I always try to showcase, you know, jewelry, um, different types of clothing that are made by indigenous designers. So I wouldn't say that I was aiming to go in that direction, but I definitely thought, you know what, I would love to have other people wear my designs. I actually started uh, printing t-shirts as a fundraiser. Um, In my first year of law school, we decided to fundraise for the Standing Rock Water Collective um, for all the people that were faced with criminal charges. And I commissioned a design. We put it on a bunch of t-shirts. It says, Water is Life. You might have seen it around town. And that campaign really took off. Um, And it's amazing how messaging like that really speaks to people and it's just such a great conversation starter to have a piece of artwork on a t-shirt people are like oh like what does that mean or why did you buy that um and then we took it from there we did t-shirts hoodies baby onesies we put them on water bottles mugs Uh, and so i was really inspired by that work so it it kind of started with some more philanthropic work and then moved into you know some stuff for myself Mm. so Hearing you talk, it sounds like culture is a very big part of what you do in terms of clothing and how you move forward. Was it always like that? Like for me personally as an artist, it wasn't always like that for me rapping. But is that something that like that? Like how did that all come about? Um, Culture's definitely been a culture's always been a big part of that. And when I was in school, uh, I kind of struggled as an artist because I'm so inspired by culture, but you also don't want to be known as just the indigenous artist. Um, So it's kind of a fine balance. I can't help it if I'm inspired by, say, beadwork or the colors of regalia that I was raised around my whole life, Uh, or even the artwork that we see around my hometown. Like Norville Morso is from Kenora, which is the area that I grew up in. So I was constantly surrounded by that type of artwork. And really, I just learned how to embrace it and accept that this is a part of who I am that I'm always gonna be inspired by that type of artwork and that style, uh, and that I should really just incorporate that into my practice and be proud of it. Um, I think it's really important for other young indigenous people to see a part of that identity reflected in, say, streetwear, uh, clothing. You don't really see a lot of Anishinaabe um, streetwear companies. You don't see a lot of female-owned companies. Um, the best part of doing all this is when I see, say, my nieces sharing something on Facebook and saying how proud they are of their auntie. You know, inspiring young people is definitely one of the best parts. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you say that the clothing that, that you know, that clan mother makes, is it, would you say it's more kind of inspired by hip-hop or is that is that not, is it? Because uh, I heard you say that, you know, you're friends with Wob, and Wob's a uh, huge hip-hop fan. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just wondering if that plays in any part into your designs. or. Um, um, it definitely does. I wouldn't say that it's, like, the be-all and end-all. 
Um, I think one of the great things about Indigenous people is that we're so multifaceted. So, you know, while we're cultural and, you know, we might be fans of hip hop or say classical music, we also hold many different roles within our community. So, you know, I own a company and I'm also a law student, I'm a mother, uh, and one of the latest designs that I'm working on reflects uh, my role as a water protector. And so it really speaks to some of the objects that I've seen around uh, in ceremonies and what our responsibility is to water and protecting the earth. So it's definitely not limited to just hip hop. Yeah. So we've talked about uh, clothing. I just want to know, was there anyone that specifically inspired you to make your own brand? Was there someone that you looked up to when you were starting this? Um, yeah, what were your inspirations? I definitely consider myself very lucky to be surrounded by many entrepreneurs. Um, a very good friend of mine, Destiny Seymour, is an owner of Indigo Arrows, and it's a textile and design company. And she actually gave up her full-time job as an interior designer at an architecture firm to pursue her dream of starting this business. And she's been going strong for two years and it really took off. Like even within the first few months, she gained thousands of followers and now she's being featured in magazines like Home and Garden and Interior Designs. Uh, she does pop-ups on the regular. And I constantly look to her as a source of uh, guidance when it comes to making, say, business decisions or even design moves. Um, you know, where to take things next. Should I, you know, do another big launch? She's sort of like my voice of reason when I'm about to make an impulsive decision. Uh, it's just really good to have someone like that who's been doing it for a couple of years now and can definitely provide some advice. I have a question. Are you looking for any Korean Guyanese models for your fashion show? <laughs> and when will that be? <laughs> With a beard and the long hair, because I know someone. You do? Yeah, I know someone. I feel like I know someone, too. You might be sitting right in front of me. Maybe. Uh, yeah, I would love to have someone like that model for me. Is uh, is there a fashion show coming up, or is there? have oh you done gosh. one before? That would be so fun. You know what? I used to do fashion shows in Ottawa. Um, this would have been back before A Tribe Called Red was a thing. They had electric powwows. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and oh, so cool. we would do live body art on different models, and they would do, um, like, showcases of various local designers. That was such a great scene. Uh, that was a really um, strong Indigenous showing of community, and I think we should have something like that here. Mm. Actually, over the holidays in December, um, Boogie had asked me if I wanted to do a surprise pop-up for a show that they had with him, Sebastian Gaskin, and Tim Toolman from Tribe Called Red. And I was so um, amazed with how many people came through, and it was just a really good feeling to be included and to just see so many different faucets of artwork come together in one space. And I really hope they keep doing that. Mm. And yes, maybe we will have a, a fashion <laughs> show. <laughs> you can... One question. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to UMFM 101.5. <laughs> We're here with Danielle Morrison. Uh, Danielle, uh, final question here. Um, where do you see uh, Clan Mother going, and what are your future plans for it going forward? I would love to see Clan Mother in stores across North America. I 
I'm going to be launching a website soon. I have more product coming. And it's not just limited to clothing either, because I know that a lot of people don't just want to buy clothes. So there's mugs, there's different kinds of goods that are going to be for sale. Cool. Yeah, you're, you're thinking about like prints, <laughs> and I totally feel that. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's just so much that you can do, and there's so many people that are inspired by it too like i, I want to see this worn like all over the world mm -hmm. i think it's when it reaches different pockets of the world that you know you've done a really good job where can people uh pick up clan mother shirt how can they buy your stuff you can follow the page on instagram clan.mother or you can find us on facebook and then you'll just have to keep tuned for when the next drop is cool so you heard it there ladies and gentlemen uh umfm 101.5 your host osani Kenneth and our lovely guest Danielle Morrison, thank you for coming by. Thanks so much.
Hey guys, welcome back to 101.5 UMFM. This is Joshua Wadman and my good friends Kenneth and Osani just sat down with Uzuma Azaguara and Daniel Morrison. And we are now joined by Boogie the Beat, Winnipeg DJ and producer who's recently been doing lots of collaborations with Canadian artists. He also has multiple projects coming out this year and he will also be throwing a party in June, was it? June 20th, yeah. June 20th, word. Uh, so I definitely want to get into um, all that uh, stuff that you got coming up. You're a, you're a busy man, but uh, before that, um, how are you, man? I'm great. Uh, thank you guys so much for having me. It's, yeah. it's uh, great to be back in this beautiful space, Studio 393, so yeah. Dope, thank you so much for coming, man. Um, so yeah, I wanted to get into a couple things about um, your, your introduction into being a, a musician, just first off, like what sparked the, the music in your life initially? The musical career yeah. the path? Um, essentially, it just started in high school. I enrolled in this program called Rectech. Um, they taught us how to make beats on an old Apple computer along Dope. with some MIDI programming, and nice. that was that. I Sick. mean, you know, a couple of my classmates who I'm still friends with now and still make music together, um, that's essentially just where it started, and then here we are today. Dope. So, it's it started off like that, and I imagine it was a, like. Over time, do you think the motivation and the the drive or the purpose behind it is, has shifted at all? Like from starting off in, in high school and stuff, and how you see it now? Absolutely. I mean, back then it was just for fun. It was just trying to be creative and and you know, find our voice and express ourselves, mm -hmm. right? And now, you know, some 15 years later, um, it's, we have kids now, we have bills to pay, you yeah. know, we're trying to make a run at this, a career out of this. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, um, you know, throughout that whole time, it, it has changed for me a lot, you mm -hmm. know, from just having fun when we were kids to, you know, trying to put a record out and trying to leave a mark and a legacy um, for future generations, not just indigenous kids, but, you know, other creative beings to, mm -hmm. to follow in our path. Dope. So, um, you're a producer and a DJ. Um, you, you started producing? I just, yeah, well, not producing. Um, a lot of people get beat, beat, beat makers and producers mixed up, right? Right, right. Beat makers is just that person making a beat, but a mm -hmm. producer is someone who essentially sees the song from start to finish and mm -hmm. has a vision for it. So um, I've only just started being a real producer maybe two years ago okay a year and a half ago and the whole I, time leading up to that was dj stuff was just dj stuff was just selling beats just making beats and, and trying to make a buck off it or trying to get placements here and there right? right not actually being in the studio with artists and bands and and um trying to bring their vision of the song or the project to life right i'm glad you brought up um placements because i did want to also ask about how you got into um the, the sync stuff and how that started and how prevalent that is with you now. Yeah, um, I mean, it started when I started putting out Pow Wow Step Records, which is, you know, just a mix of Pow Wow music with electronic music or rap music. Um, I didn't go out looking for it, it kind of found me. You know, I get emails from time to time saying, 
we like to use your track for this TV episode or can you make a track for this app that we're doing? Um, and I didn't know at the time that there was a lot of different revenue streams, mm -hmm. you know, rather than just selling beats or just doing um, gigs as a DJ, right? Because when you come into it, it's, you know, it's not really about the money, but at the same time, it kind of is. Yeah. Because um, we have to, you know, buy food and keep ourselves right. alive, right? And our kids, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean... Um, I've been fortunate enough to, you know, do, you know, multiple contracts with, with different media companies. And in that sense, you know, it's been fun. I haven't even put on an official project yet. People just go on my SoundCloud and say, you know, how much do you want for this track, for this project? Done. You know, I get mm -hmm. a check in the mail. So, right. yeah, it's been cool. Dope. So you, you don't ever, like, go out of your way for, like, if you have a, a, a beat, you don't want, like... No, I haven't. I haven't yet. Wow. So I mean, yeah. In that in that way, it's been it's been uh, I've been blessed. So that's dope. Yeah. So I know that you sell a lot of beats, and a lot of the people you work with are like uh, Mob Bounce, Not Nose Res Kids. Uh, you've worked with Two Man, right? Uh, just wondering, like, all those people have such like a positive message or something that they're trying to say. Did you find that when you were selling beats that you like? you can control who like rapped over what on top of a beat yeah when i was selling rap beats and hip-hop beats and i still do you know that's still one of my revenue streams right as a as a beat maker um you know honestly half the time i don't really know what happens to the beat it could be you know someone from like say vancouver or something who buys the beat and puts it on a project that you know might never even come out at all um, so most of the time, you know, I, a beat is gone um, once, you know, they buy the exclusive rights or they lease it and things like that. So, um, but there is, you know, a few times where I'm working closely with the artists and who I do believe in their vision, right? And I want, you know, them to send me back what they, what they put into it. Because in that sense, they, you know, they kind of, reached out to me you know to get one of my beats right so i kind of want to show that same love and that same you know creativity to be like okay you came to me for a beat let's see what you do with it you know and you know i'm honest at times right i can be like you know that that track is whack you know <laughs> or it could use this and that you know um and that's the thing with a lot of rap and hip-hop music you know taking constructive criticism there's a lot of ego involved, right? It's all about, you know, um, rapping about, you know, jewelry and things like that and how much money you have, right? <laughs> so a lot of these rappers have a big ego and they won't, you know, they'll take it as sort of like, um, oh, you don't like me, you don't like my music, then, you know, whatever. So, I mean, there's, there's, it's all over the place when it comes to selling beats or selling beats online as a, as a beat maker. So you, you're more of a producer now. How was producing, were you executive producing or solely producing the Mob Bounce record? How did well, that go about? Um, they kind of came to me with this uh, idea of an EP because um, we had worked previously together on this track called Vision Quest. Um, and at the time, we haven't even met each other. I just found their record on SoundCloud. I downloaded it and I did my own remix to it and I put it out. Um, and turns out that they loved it and they flew me out to Vancouver to actually produce, you know, from start to finish this record. Um, essentially how that worked is Travis, uh, 
one half of mob bounce made like just the skeleton beats right but i would come in and kind of rework them kind of add stuff to it and then once that was done we record their vocals and then after that we'd bring in you know this this drummer to just add that live aspect to it um but in that sense that was kind of my first you know ep or project that i had a hand in from start to finish to you know i had a voice sent to say oh let's take that out let's try this you know and actually had this amazing studio at our disposal to work out of um and this amazing engineer too so it was, it was a really great experience so uh tell me about this uh this party man um yeah well we only threw one it's called um in ojibwe Genakamo Enanun, which translates to our songs in um, English. Um, and I just kind of had this idea of, you know, creating this safe space with, you know, indigenous and non-indigenous artists, um, DJs, musicians to kind of come together and celebrate almost this kind of reclaiming of space, you know, and reclaiming of sound. Because um, a lot of the music that I put out um, does, you know, it it uses powwow music and it uses a lot of indigenous percussion. And I just thought, hey, you know, why don't we just throw this party? And I didn't think, you know, people would really come come out to it, but we like, our first party had Toolman from a tribe called Red. Um, I booked Sebastian Gaskin, who's another amazing Winnipeg artist. And, you know, people came out and, and we packed the place. So, um, yeah, you know, I'm trying to throw a couple a year, maybe just to get it going. So. And we just kind of confirmed our second date today um, on June 20th. Dope. It'll be in conjunction with Jazz Fest. So it'll be kind of the official after party on June 20th. And um, we have Snotty Nose Res Kids confirmed. Um, that's pretty much all the details I can share right now until we confirm, you know, more artists and DJs and things like that. But it'll be at uh, the King's Head Pub June 20th. Come out and party. Dope. So. So you work with Mob Bounce, you got your booking a show with uh, Snod Nose Res Kids. Are these some of the names that appear up on the EP that you're dropping soon? Absolutely. Um, Snotty Nose Res Kids was on my first single that I dropped uh, called The Sage is on Fire. Um, who else we got on there? We got Mob Bounce, Res Kids, um, T Rhyme and Equal, um, another great you know duo. Um, we also have Fawn Wood, another amazing indigenous female uh, singer. Um, we have a powwow group called Young Spirit Singers that I took some samples from. So shout out to Canon Records for helping me throughout, throughout that process. We got Jerezus. Um, we got uh, PJ Vegas, um, who's the son of Pat Vegas, who's a singer and founder of Redbone. So we got him on there. Um, I'm trying to think of anybody else. There's a, there's a whole slew of like amazing people who came together on this project, right? Just to just to show love for my first EP. Um, you know, they didn't really want anything in return, just to just to be on the project. So I'm super stoked about that. Well, what was it like developing this EP? Did you have a goal in mind of an EP, and you just like spent like while like hassling people for verses or stuff, or did it just happen naturally and organically? Um, at first, I thought it was going to be just an instrumental album, but, you know, I kind of, you know, 
played with the idea of having maybe one or two features on there. And then word of mouth just happened. It was like, hey, can I get on that project? Can I get on that project? I'm like, sure, okay. Um, so I kind of made like six or seven, probably eight beats, just like just rough ideas that had a lot of powwow step in it had a lot of like um Moombaton, you know and soca vibes and things like that and you know people actually started sending vocals in and i'm like okay well if we're gonna have you know some vocalists and artists on it let's let's get um whoever's down and um yeah i mean i got all the vocals in except for one session but after that it goes into you know mixing and mastering and then you know, we'll figure out the artwork and marketing and things like that, um, and distribution. So, yeah, it's definitely coming out this year, probably late summer, early fall. Once again, you were listening to 101.5 UMFM. We are sitting here with Boogie the Beat. Hey, man, um, have you, uh, I was curious, because you do so many collaborations with different artists, um, and when people with with creatives, I know that people tend to. Everyone has their own little way that they they go about what they do. Um, have you found like a, a like a particular way that you tend to go about the collaboration, like workflow and process, or does it entirely vary depending on who you're with? Uh, it depends on project to project. Like for this project, I did all the production by myself at home in my home studio and I'll finish the mixing and mastering by myself um, in my home studio, right? Because a lot of these people are, you know, located across Canada. So mm -hmm. they'll get in the studio and they'll send me the stems or just the vocals in that way. And I feel like for me, for this first project anyway, um, it's very much kind of a solo effort besides, you know, the artists lending their voices and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, and it's cool because they kind of gave me free reign to pick apart or, you know, cut stuff or anything like that. So in that sense, I have, you know, most of the creative control to, to figure things out. And I'm still figuring things out as I go. Sometimes I'll mix a song down five or six times and I'll listen to it a thousand times mm. and then I'll come out with another mix, right? Yeah. I mean, at that point, you know, you just got to kind of step back and say, okay, the project is finished, you know, let's move on to the next step, mm -hmm. right? Um, the fun stuff is over. <laughs> let's, you know, get into the business side and start and start putting it out that way. Yeah. All right. So this has been 393. We've been sitting down with Boogie the Beat on uh, 101.5 UMFM. Thanks for uh, being here, man. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for talking to us. This has been dope. Peace. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? You've been listening to UMFM 101.5. I've been your host, Kenneth Castillo, alongside host Osani Balkran and Josh. Right now, our last segment of the show, The Amazing Boogie the Beat. Uh, quick shout out to all the guests that came, Uzoma and Danielle Morrison. Boogie, let's kick it.
Mother Earth to serve a purpose. The purpose is to honor the Earth. The purpose is to protect the Earth. The Earth. The Earth. The purpose is to live in balance with the Earth. The Earth is our mother. We must take care of the Earth. with the earth the earth is our mother we must take care of the earth Bye. 
finding myself over the town looking for help losing my mind speaking the truth knowing the fine saving my health gotta get mine taking no breaks waking up crying missing my son hope he don't mind been in my own drinking the wine knowing the zone spinning the rhyme giving you love was it the worth living with you what we deserve you know what hurts giving it all feeling so dumb to let it fall did what i did to make it call never have faith to let it grow taking me down letting me fade no one around to let me escape did what i did to let it survive how many times you let it die never the one to let it rise living no good misunderstood i know i could taking the best cause on my back never been sad taking my path living my life getting my goals to make it right all my life i was just keep running trying to get close i don't know what's coming takes a lot of time just to be something now i'm in my zone cause you left me alone all my life i was just keep running trying to get close i don't know what's coming takes a lot of time just to be something now i'm in my zone cause you left me alone praying for the lord to make it through how to be strong i know it's true losing my soul that i can't hold no what i mean when i'm alone paint the picture now it's gone looking to me when you've been told making money trying to cope chasing dreams making hopes sticks and stone break my bones and i snap now i'm chosen taking laps but i'm hoping hell and back heart is frozen now they mad Stay focused on my track When I'm rolling with the pack Got the brothers coming back Now I'm going, making the last Where I'm going, smoking the grass Can't be holding, making you pass Feel emotion, making you laugh But I'm spoken what I have Got that token, going for the grab For my dreams All my life I was just Keep running Trying to get close I don't know what's coming Takes a lot of time just to be something now i'm in my zone cause you left me alone all my life i was just keep running trying to get close i don't know what's coming takes a lot of time just to be something now i'm in my zone cause you left me alone Yeah, that's the end of the show. Thanks for listening to 101.5 UMFM. This is 393. Heard some new music by Cordell there, Millie the Kid. Keep us unlocked. We're located Portage Place, Skywalk. Open 4 to 8 p.m. Monday to Friday. Come through. Come through. We got some toques. We got some other things. On the way, shout to Jordan Stranger with the wonderful design of our new t-shirts. More news to come. Catch you next week.